Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. The history behind this, successful business in this family, but uh, godless and totally serving multiple gods and displeasing the one true God. And God was about to change the course of history. This is a history-making moment. This changed everything going forward in history. And Abram was a person whom God believed would be the one that would carry the name of his son forward into the years ahead for all of us. So, Father, you have a purpose for everybody. That purpose might be a change that changes history. It might be a change that just changes the simple things that we do every day, but we're all called to change. And you have purpose for each of us and our church, and we embrace it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a woman in the Midwest about 25 years of age, and she'd reached, believe it or not, in her mind, the end of life. She said, you know, I'm done. Things had gone sour for her, and like all too many today, she decided her life was over, so went to a bridge intending to jump into the Mississippi River, wanting to end her life. The waters were frigid in that time of the year, and if the drop didn't kill her, certainly the cold water would drown her and she would die. So she jumped and she began to sink, and unbeknownst to her, there was a man that was there witnessing what she was doing, and of course panicked when he saw her do this, and uh, he, he didn't get to see exactly where she was in the water. So he jumps into the river to try to rescue her, to try to find her. And while she's sinking, she hears, just about as she's about to go under, she hears the splash of water nearby her. And she hears the man who's jumped into the water to save her starting to struggle because he wasn't a very good swimmer. And the cold was quickly taking his strength from him. True story. Now he's splashing around, he's screaming for help. And the woman who attempted to kill herself hears him and swims over to him and helps him get to shore, pulls him out of the water, gives him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on the bank. Someone's observing all of this, calls 911. They take both of them to the hospital alive, and they survive. And the journalist writing the story said, that night it wasn't the man that saved her life. It was purpose that saved her life. Yeah, think about that. She was ready to take her life and die, And suddenly, purpose was awakened in her heart. And although she was ready to give up, suddenly she was motivated with a mission to save a life that gave her power to get up and make a difference, do something meaningful, like saving another. One minute, she was suicidal. The next minute, she saved a life and her own because she had found purpose. She had mission. We all have purpose in our lives. God's designed us that way. And too many will say, well, I'm getting too old, and, you know, I really don't want to change my life. I'm comfortable. Uh, Like one man that was recently interviewed, he'd been in the same church, uh, Tim and Sue, for 70 years. And they said, my God, I guess you've seen a lot of changes around here in 70 years. And he said, yep, and I was against every one of them. (laughs) And I've met him. And he's got descendants, and they propagate in the church. Yeah. 
Walt Disney decided he wanted to build a theme park called Disneyland. Not many of you have been there, right? Multiple times. And uh, he wanted to get me done person, someone he knew absolutely could handle the project. It was, it was mammoth, especially in the day in which he did this. And he tagged Admiral Joe Fowler. I remember telling you this story, but some of you have never heard it. But at age 57, Fowler had led the United States Navy and put the Navy back together after, it, after the Pacific Fleet was decimated at Pearl Harbor. And he was the man the president put in charge of our Navy right after Pearl Harbor. And at 57, he's retiring from the Navy and having a successful career rebuilding our Navy. And Walt Disney said, I know the man I want for the job. And if he could put the Navy back together after a crushing defeat, well, he can handle my project. So they constructed Disneyland in Anaheim, California. Years later, Disney said, you know, I want to take my dream to Orlando, Florida. Now, Admiral Fowler is no longer 57. He's 77. And Disney says, I want the Admiral to do this. And the Admiral responded and he said, look, I, I don't want to head up your project in Orlando. I'm not interested in that. I'm 77. I'm kind of taking it easy. But Disney wouldn't let up. And he kept calling him. And finally, he brought to him all the graphics and the schematics and the master plan of what he envisioned in Orlando, Disney World in Orlando. And it fired up the 77-year-old. And he said, I'm coming out of retirement and he was in charge of making sure the project was run well, and Disney World was the result. Then he retired again. He had built Disneyland on the West Coast, Disney World on the East Coast, but in 1982, it was time to build the Epcot Center back there in Orlando. Fowler's now 87 years old. And he told the directors, listen, at Disney World, you don't understand. I'm old. I do not want to build the world inside of a ball. I'm not interested. I want to be left alone. And Disney's leadership flew to where the Admiral lived, and they presented him with all the plans for the Epcot Center. Great mission, great purpose. And the old flame lit up again in the Admiral's eyes, and he said, at 87, I'm coming out of retirement, and I'm going back to work. And because there was a mission and a purpose before him, the media interviewed him, and they asked him, now, why would you undertake a project at 87 years of age, one this big? And the Admiral looked at them and said, you don't have to die until you want to. That's powerful. You don't have to die until you want to. A powerful illustration of when you harness your energy around a God-given purpose for living. The purpose is what gets you up in the morning. And instead of setting, saying, good God, it's morning, you say, God, it's morning. This is the day that you have made. I will serve you today with gladness. We're not supposed to coast through life. There needs to be purpose in every life. Now, the Lord said to Abram, I'll make you a, a view of great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. God was about to change. This was historical. This was an historical event. Your name is going to be known everywhere. How many understand God knows how to get your name around and get it into the circles where it needs to be known? God knows how to do that. I serve a God who can promote anyone he chooses. And if God wants to raise you up, man can't hold you down. And if God wants your name out there, I don't care how many people attempt to shove you in a corner, they can't keep you down. If God says your name will be known, your name will be known. In Genesis 12, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, it was going to change history. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, Abraham comes out of retirement at 75 with purpose. 
And God has a plan for your life in the now, a purpose for why you're here now. If you're still here, if illness didn't kill you, if whatever you've been through didn't wipe you out, if drugs and alcohol didn't take you down, God didn't preserve anything he doesn't have purpose for. And there are five dynamics in Abraham's life and the decision he makes to go with God, to get up and move forward. He's leaving a lush valley. According to the historians, at, at 75, he's got hundreds and hundreds of servants. He's blessed. He's got everything at his fingertips, cattle and sheep. And, and God says, I've got a purpose for you beyond what you've been doing in a heathen culture where no one serves me. And I need to tell somebody, just when you think you can retire, just when you think you're 65 and sliding from home, perhaps you think it's time to quit and time to give up. Don't be surprised if in the days that you live in, God will appear and put a brand new mantle on you for a great new purpose in your life. And this decision that Abraham made was the most important decision ever made by a human being in history. Because ultimately, this decision being made by a 75-year-old, you see, many older people don't want to make changes in life. He had to get up out of what he had worked for all of his life and rebuild. And he was sent to a place where he didn't even know where he was going, nor did he know what it looked like. He just packed enough travel, and he said, dear, we're, we're, we're going. And she said, why? Where? What are we going to be doing? I don't know. I'll know when we get there. I've heard from God. And he said he was going to make me great. I've heard God say he had a plan for my life. And he didn't know it at the time, but it was the greatest decision a man could make. Because if he had backed away, if he had frozen up in paralytic fear over what God was challenging to do, then you know what would have happened? Listen, he would not have moved in faith. And that move would not have triggered the great genealogies in the word of God in the lineage of Jesus Christ because it was Abraham who decided, I'm going to obey the Lord. That's why the word says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of a pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who brought, bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Remember what God brought you out of. There were no churches. There were no Bibles. There was no tabernacle or temple. There were no prophets anywhere near Abraham. All this man had going for him was the voice of the Lord, the Spirit of God. And God said, I'm going to change history through your life. And if you'll do it, ultimately this one act, produces the plan of God's eternal redemption for the human race. He pivoted in an area that changed the course of history. The effect of that decision of faith produced the manifestation of Jesus Christ because one man at 75 said, there's purpose attached to my life and I'm going to step into the one that God's designed for me. And these are five dynamics. Number one, the first thing you have to possess if you're ever going to discover the purpose God has for you, the ability to hear God's voice. And when I read this, it says, God said to Abraham. And the question I have is, how did God say it to him? Because there were no Bibles, there were no pulpits, no prophets, no one some coming to Abraham saying, thus says the Lord. Abraham had the ability to hear God. In other words, 
he had built a relationship with God. And you will never hear God or from God until you develop a relationship. When God speaks, it's like thunder in your spirit. When God speaks, it's like the bell rang. You know in your knower. And when God speaks, you know that you know that you know. You say, well, I don't get that. I never have that happen in my life. The voice of God comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about a religion. It's not about candles and statues and man-made impositions. It's not about buildings. It's not about programs. It's Christianity was always meant to be a relationship. God has restored relationship. If you will invest the time, it may not happen immediately. But if you open this book and begin to read it every day, listen, if you'll take time for prayer and fellowship and say, Father, I'm not sure what your voice sounds like. I don't know how it is you speak to your people, but I'm here to speak with you and God will reveal himself through his written word and out of it, you will hear his voice. Would you, when you say to him, would you speak to me? I'm reading, I'm listening. And the next day you come back and you say, it's me again, I'm back. And I need you to speak to me about my purpose and why you created me. I need to know why I was born. I need to know that there's more to life than getting up and working hard for a paycheck and coming home, watching TV and going back to bed. Master, what do you want to do with me? If you keep pursuing him like that, Paul said, I have not yet apprehended, but I press. And he said that I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended. And you know what apprehended means, right? There were a couple of criminals that were apprehended yesterday when they stole a fire truck down the Sacramento, and they, they rode right up through our backyard on up into Oroville. Some of you know personally, the police have come to apprehend you. You know what he was saying when he said, I, I want to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. He was actually speaking about that moment on the road to Damascus. I was minding my own business, riding my horse, I was thinking I'm doing what God wants me to do, persecuting the church. And God apprehended me, knocked me off my horse and stopped me and messed my life up. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul said, now I have to possess what I was possessed for. In other words, God didn't save you, do a work in you, show you who he is, stop you from destruction by his power just to get you to heaven. That's not why God saved you. Notice what Paul said. He said, God apprehended me. He grabbed hold of my life, changed my direction. And when God took off, then God took off running and, and, and said, come on, join me in the race. And Paul said, I have to possess that for which I was apprehended. It's like when you're kids and you play tag and God goes, gotcha, right? You're it. <laughs> and this is what God does with us. And God gives you a glimpse of your purpose and your future, the dreams that he has for you. And he says, here, and he explodes that in your heart like he did Joseph. And you're all messed up and you start to cry and you don't know what to do. And you know, you've got to have more information. And then God takes off on this, on this race and you have to possess that for which you were apprehended. So do you understand there is a that for which you were apprehended and you don't obtain it by sitting in a pew on Sunday. You have to go chase God and cry out to God and pray until you touch God. 
You have to learn to hear his voice, having spiritual ears that you grow, having spent time with him in his word. Abraham simply had the ability to hear God, and it messed him up. At 75, he said, we're packing. I have a 1,000 people looking to me for sustenance. You know what? I heard the Lord, and we're going to obey him. What God? What God are you talking about? There was no knowledge at that time of the God of Abraham. There was no knowledge of him that was widespread through the earth of Chaldees. What God? Abraham obeyed because of what he heard. He heard the voice of the one true God. All the other gods that his family business had created over the years never spoke to them, but this God spoke. And if you wait long enough, God will speak to you even about your relationships, who it is you're to marry. I wouldn't kiss a thousand bullfrogs until I found a prince. No way. I'd wait. And if you'll wait, telling you the truth, church, many don't seek the direction of God like you ought to. And before you ever kiss him, you know, I think you ought to be married before you have babies. I think the scripture is pretty clear about that. Yeah. Well, that's kind of old school. No, it's biblical. No wed, no bed. And I, I need to tell you that in these major decisions, when you listen, he'll tell you what to do even after high school graduation. He'll tell you when it is you need career change. He'll tell you, that's the person I have for you. You will hear it. We are the children of God. And he said, my sheep know my voice. Abraham began to understand the voice of God and knew it. Number two, Abraham believed what God told him. He didn't just hear him, he believed it. It's one thing to hear it, then you have to believe it. And the word says, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. Abraham got up and he moved on what he heard. And what he heard, listen, he believed what God told him. God spoke to me, commanding me to do it. Your mind and God's mind don't run on the same track. That's one of the lessons we have to learn on this journey. And because they don't run on the same track, we've got to make adjustment. That's when the word has to have supreme authority in your life. If God's word says one thing and your mind says another thing, your mind is wrong and God's word is right. And if he starts streaming something into your spirit, here's what I've learned. I've lived long enough to know that the Holy Spirit is always right. Always. Abraham heard God. Abraham believed what God told him. Say with me, I'm going to start believing what I hear. That's right. We're not going to back up. We're not going to waver. We're not going to vacillate. When God speaks to me through his written word and confirms that to me, when I hear him say that, I believe what I hear, I'm going to act on it. Amen? So thirdly, there must come a season where there is a divine denunciation of present blessing for the future promise. That's a very important statement. It's a biggie here. A season where there's a divine denunciation of the present blessing for the future promise. God will speak to you, and the purpose for which he's made you begins to bloom and blossom and open up And there comes with it a divine denunciation 
with the comfortable, okay? Like Abraham, of the safe place. It's called serving. Incrementally serving. And we start small. We don't, we don't go from rung one on the ladder to the top of the ladder. We take one step. There are no elevators in the kingdom. There are ladders in the kingdom. And he says, when you're faithful with this, and I want to watch your faithfulness. I'm going to observe how you do it. I'm going to see if you're going to finish the task and do it well or leave it half done or take the attitude it's good enough for government work. Not in his kingdom, it's not. It's going to be done to his specifications. Amen? We serve and we grow while we serve. That's how we begin to grow in the Lord, into his greatness, into his purpose. It's musical giftings. Listen, it, it could be the ability to connect with people and greeting people and, and making your room in your, your time for a hospitality, for a cup of coffee with somebody, for cooking a meal when somebody needs it, for helping clean up after a project's been taken care of, for setting up things that need to get set up in the body of Christ before we have an event going on, to lead boys and girls, to teach, to usher, to mentor. This is what Pastor Alex shared with me right after the Father's Day service a couple of weeks back, back in June. And uh, he said this Father's Day lesson revealed more of the emotional time bomb going on in a young generation around us. He said, I shared about Joseph who protected and raised the Son of God as his own, as a stepfather. And uh, maybe that would be an example, he said, to the kids that was teaching being raised by a grandfather or a stepfather or being adopted. And God chose a man like Joseph to step in and raise Jesus, God's son. But listen to this. We had several children begin to break down and cry as we shared we were celebrating Father's Day with this story. And they began to share their story. My dad works. I never see him. Or, quote, didn't want to make plans for having them over on Father's Day. Or, quote, I don't even know who my dad is, end quote. So we had our leaders stop and talk and pray with these students. And there was something as we observed the emotions that began to pour out. We have needs here at Calvary Christian Center. And people who walk in here are representative of those needs. And they need the body of Christ to step up and serve and say, here I am. What is it? And Jesus put it like this. He who is the greatest among you is he who serves. In his kingdom, folks, you're never going to get to the purpose for which God created you or us collectively until we learn to serve and serve well out of our comfort zones. God, listen, obstacles are a part of the journey that we have with Jesus. There are going to be obstacles to everything that God wants you to do. And our job is to be overcomers and overcome those obstacles, not to capitulate to them, but to, to, to do nothing but fortify our position and dream and purpose for which God's created us. Abraham may have said, I could keep on doing what I'm doing for the rest of my life and enjoy it. And he would have never missed a beat because everything would have continued as it was. But he heard that commanding voice. It's a call because there's a need. There's a call, as Bill Wilson would tell us. I'm going to believe what God told me. And then comes the moment where is there's this divine denunciation of the present blessing. 
for the future promise. I'll pick up that responsibility and get out of this little bit of comfort that I'm enjoying and make myself a little uncomfortable. Abraham, what are, where are we going? What are we doing? Look how blessed we are. We've got it made. We can't be doing all these other things now. This is divine denunciation time. I've been living in this valley of comfort for a long, long time, and it's been great and sitting in church and enjoying myself, and it's wonderful. But God's called all of us to walk with him by faith, in service to him. And in the life of Jesus, there was divine denunciation. And if the master could do it, I'd better do it. He left glory to come down as a baby among us. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And in the life of every person in this book I'm reading from, I can find the process of divine denunciation daily. It's not some big emotional, well, I'm going to be like Abraham and pack up and move clear across the country. That's not what God's calling us to do. He calls very few to do those things, not where you vacate, but you vacate what's secure in your day-to-day life, and you begin to change up thinking, there's more I can be doing for the kingdom than just finding a little niche to stay comfortable in, and you step out by faith on nothing because of the whisper of the Holy Spirit, there's a need that needs to be filled. And you grow and mature only when you're willing to step up and stretch. And you say, Lord, have mercy. This is scary. I've never done that quite before, but I'm going to do that now. And it's Peter, what he heard on the boat while they were out on the Sea of Galilee, 12 disciples on the boat who all heard the very same thing. And that tells me you can hear God's voice and you can believe that it's him, but still there has to come that moment where you actually step up and step out and go do it. And all 11 of the remaining disciples sat there in the boat. And Jesus had said, fear not, it is I. He's out there walking on the waves in a storm and they're in the boat. And 11 of them said, uh-uh, I'm not getting out of the boat. But Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And he got up and started walking on the water. And the faith kind of people start sinking because they're willing to take a risk, because they're willing to start something fresh they've never tackled before. And sooner or later, we get out of the boat, and we begin to struggle, and we begin to sink, and we find an obstacle, and we think, well, see, God didn't want me to do this because now there's an obstacle. No, there are always going to be obstacles, and the obstacles are going to test your faith, and they're there for one reason, to see you grow stronger than the obstacle you face to overcome it. Struggle, that's a good thing. It teaches us dependence on God. I'd rather walk on the water for a little while, but look at the sissies in the boat talking over what can never be done. And by the way, Jesus immediately picked Peter up and they walked back to the boat together. Amen. I'd rather have that in my memo and on my resume. And there comes the moment number four when you actually have to act on that command. Yes, everything else is worthless, Paul wrote, when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. There comes this fourth dynamic where you announce, I'm going to do what God asks me and challenges me to do right now. Well, I'm afraid to play my instrument on the platform. I might get nervous. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will get nervous. 
Well, I'm afraid to sing because I'm afraid I might make a mistake. Mm Mm-hmm, you will. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Okay? But I'm going to do it. When you just, it's time to do it. That's the make or break place where you're willing. Well, I've never taught anybody before. I don't know if I would do really well. I don't do well talking to groups. How about a small group? This is make or break because you've never done it. I've been there daily in my life. It's time to do it, and I'm scared because you have to let go of the familiar fleshly response and the emotional comfort, and here I go. I'm going to try this, and here we go, Lord. I believe you've asked me to give it a shot. This is what God loves in us. He likes that in his people. God likes people who make a divine denunciation of their secure place when they hear him. And when they hear him, they get up and they step into something they've never tackled before because they're becoming God designed them to be in purpose. It's easy to talk it, confess it, and even believe it. But there comes a time in a person's life when you've got to get up and do it. Do it. Church, you know, one thing we're notorious for, talking a good game. We need to do it. And the word says that he got up and he moved out, not knowing where he was going. I love that, not knowing factor. Not knowing. Well, all kinds of things start going through your head. And it says, and Abraham, not knowing. That's called growth. That's called development. That's called praying every day. That's called daily committing myself to him and his purpose. That's called tithing for the first time. I don't know what that's going to turn into. I don't know what that's going to look like. It could turn into the greatest, it will turn into the greatest blessing you've ever had, and it could turn into something that you never imagined in God's purpose for you. When you began to tithe and God began to see, I can trust you. And when he, God begins to see he can trust you, you never know where God's going to take you in the business world and what successes you might have had had you stepped out of the boat that one time and said, I'm not knowing I'm going to pay my tithe. And watch what God will do, right? I'm going to serve. I'm not knowing how to do this very well, but I'm going to do it. In other words, if you're going to wait until all your questions are answered, you'll never do anything. There is that not knowing factor when it comes to the will of God. I don't know what's going to happen, but here I go. And what happens to some people when they turn a certain age, they just turn off all the switches I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. But he was 75, not knowing, and he stepped out. That's why I believe God used Peter on the day of Pentecost. He had a loud mouth. He was quick-tempered. He cut off a guard's ear. He was ready to fight at the drop of a hat. He used crass language. Sounds like some politicians I know. Read it. Look at this guy. I mean... I know enough, so I've worked around people who worked on the dock. We, we, our business was on what's called Long Wharf, and we were down at the wharf and working with people who did all, all kinds of trades like this. I can tell you what, they turned the air blue really fast, and, and, and Peter was one of these kind of guys. But I believe when Jesus was sitting around in the campfire in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and they're probably overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he thought, these guys ought to be praying. Look at them. They're sleeping. They're snoozing. Could you not tarry one hour? And he's thinking, who in the world can I choose to preach the very first message 
that will start and begin and ignite the church that I'm about to go die for. Who am I going to pick to do this? And he thought, that one right there. When the other 11 stayed on the boat, that one right there had the courage to get out of the boat. I'm going to use him. He's got all kinds of issues, but that boy has faith to step up and get out and do it, and I will use a person like him. We live in a culture that treats Jesus like he's lucky to have any of our attention. That's the attitude. Well, you're lucky I showed up. Well, you're lucky I made it to church. Well, just count it good fortune that I decided to come. But people, Jesus is Lord. I said, Jesus is Lord. When he walks in, he's the boss. We don't have any rights to our own life when we say, I've laid down my life before the master. We are not our own. It's his purpose for us, his plan for us, his dream for us. And God's about to raise up people who embrace that, men and women with courage, students with courage, those who will rise up and say, Jesus, whatever I hear you tell me to do, I'm ready for my mission and my purpose. And then fifthly and finally, Abraham had the ability to remain focused as to where he was headed, to remain locked and loaded. And let me say this as I close. Do you want to know why so many people never make it or ever arrive at the purpose for which God created them? They cannot ever say mission accomplished. Why? Broken focus. Broken focus. Paul said, this one thing I do. And you stay focused. And you have to remain focused through the problems and the obstacles. And you have to remain focused through the adversities and remain focused when there's setbacks, hmm? through lack, through rejection, through hurts and disappointments. After this will come, amen? After this, I'm not just preaching theory. I'm living what I'm preaching. And you have to remain focused on the mission. And the mission has to become bigger than any pain you presently go through. And let me share this with you about God. God will allow problems and obstacles to come into your life, but he will allow them only to make you grow, to dig deeper, to strengthen what God's dream has been in your life, not to surrender it. And when you want to make a plant grow, let me tell you how you dig a hole, you drop a seed in it, you cover it with dirt and it's hidden. But that's not all that you do. You take some manure and you throw it on top of that, and you mix it in, and you take that mess, and you stick that all in the ground, and if you've got the right kind of mess on top of the seed, out of it will grow a message. Because problems are the fertilizer of what makes us grow. And from the American Medical Journey, Journal, I'll quote them, they said, sleep is in darkness, and that darkness is necessary for growth. They go on to say, that's why a baby goes to sleep five to six times per day. The only time your body grows is while you sleep, end quote. It says the only time a human being can physically expand and grow is while they sleep, end quote. Only in darkness do you grow. And as long as the sun is shining, you don't grow. As long as everything is good and wonderful and predictable, you don't grow. But when the lights go out and you can't see anything, including God, that's when real growth takes place. The only time a human being grows is in the darkness of sleep. Like Paul, 
glory in your tribulations. Thank God for dark seasons, not just when the sun is shining, not just when there's a cloudless day, but when you hit a dark season and you don't know where God is and you don't know where you're going, but you remain focused on the mission and the mission is all important, a purpose-driven life. The purpose will keep you moving forward. The purpose will get you out of bed in the morning. The purpose will cause you to overcome every adversity that comes against you. See, and if manure and a mess is all around you, plod right on through it and say, praise God, this is what it takes for me to grow. Problems are what make me ready for divine destiny. I dare somebody to step up before God and say, I will possess that for which I was apprehended because you're a people of mission and a purpose and have divine appointments in your life. So I believe that the reason God waited for Abraham to reach age 75 is because he wants you to know it's never too late to do his will. And that he always gets the glory. After years of journeying, Catherine Kuhlman, I loved it when she told the story over and over. She said, I asked God one day, why? When I was young and I was traveling and I could drive all night and not be tired, go to a church and preach for two and three days at a time and never grow weary, why didn't you give me a ministry like I have now? Why did you wait until I was older and tired more easily and didn't always have the stamina that I had once when I was younger? And she said, then he whispered to me, because you would have blown it. You see, he can press more living into what remains of your life than all that you may have wasted earlier in your life. Because God exponentially used Abraham to change the course of history. He exponentially used Catherine Kuhlman in her last years, more so than any in her previous years. And all those earlier battles were just a school of training for reigning that you have to go through. And you would never be who you are if you hadn't gone through all of it. You have not wasted in your life the trials that have come your way unless all you've done is like Israel complain about them. It's only served as preparation for that which God was about to release in your life. Because all of those, you see, when God puts before you the dream of Mount Everest, make sure you take the flag with you when you go. Because you're going to have places where you slide back, places where you scrape yourself, places where you run out of oxygen, places where you think, I can't take a next breath or take another step. Listen to me. But you're going to plant the flag as an overcomer and stake your claim. You must never allow the obstacles to quench the fire, to extinguish what God called you for, into this world to become. You are people of mission in this room. I don't care how much stuff is piled on top of that seed or how hidden that seed seems to be right now. It's in the darkness that you're going to grow. It's in the hidden place, the unseen place that you're growing. And then all of a sudden, one day, God says, like he did to Joseph, on the biggest stage that there was in the world of that day, open up the curtain 
Turn on the lights. This is the one I've been preparing to save the world at that day, in that time. And you look around and say, what am I doing here? I'll tell you what you were doing here. You were growing in the dark. For never forget in the night what God told you in the light. Amen? The same voice who talked to Abraham is present to speak to everyone, and he is right now. And when he speaks, I believe what he says. And we find our mission, and we get busy as members and parts of a body, and we function in the part that God has assigned us, and we do it to the best of our ability with the strength God's providing us. And then God makes that body a fit body, a vessel that he can honor and work through and speak to the nations from. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me and praise the Lord here today and thank God. You will be successful again no matter what setbacks you've had. Because after this, after this, there will come a brighter day, a better day.